Listener supported. WNYC Studios. In the fall of 2018, Kushner Companies, the family real estate business of presidential son-in-law Jared Kushner, had just unloaded its marquee skyscraper at 666 Fifth Avenue in Midtown Manhattan. The debt burden had become untenable. So the company was looking for a new line of business, and it decided to invest in an area that had once been the foundation of the company's business model, suburban multifamily housing. It needed hundreds of millions of dollars in financing to consummate the deal. So it went to Freddie Mac, the government-sponsored lending agency. They said, you know, we're interested in buying eight of these properties. Um, What do you guys think? This is Heather Vogel of ProPublica. Freddie Mac, people mostly just call it Freddie, works by buying up loans from primary lenders who can then go on to make more loans. Once Freddie buys up loans, it packages them and sells them to investors. The bulk of the debt Freddie Mac sells is backstopped by the federal government, which means if the loans default, taxpayers could be on the hook. Freddie started doing some uh, preliminary underwriting, checking out the deal, getting some quotes for Kushner Companies. And then Kushner Companies came back uh, shortly after and said, oh, wait, 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 we want to buy 16 of these properties, not just eight. So now the deal was getting really, really big. So Freddie said, "Okay, let's investigate that deal. Uh, They came back with some quotes. But then, for reasons we don't know, Kushner Companies said, never mind, and stopped pursuing Freddie Mac financing. Then, by February 2019, interest rates had dropped. So then, actually, on Valentine's Day in 2019, uh, Freddie Mac was contacted by uh, Bricadia. That's the primary lender. Bricadia, which is a Berkshire Hathaway company, said, That deal we were talking about? Let's need to discuss it. Six days later, they did. There was a meeting on February 20th. It was about a business plan for the assets, the track record, and a general overview of the Kushner companies. We know all this because Heather got a hold of a timeline of the deal. So at this meeting, you had uh, the lender, the origination lender, Bercadia. You had uh, some advisors. You had um, executives from Kushner companies. And uh, you also had Nicole Kushner-Meyer, the uh, sister of Jared Kushner. Nicole Kushner-Meyer looks like her brother. Tall and thin, brown hair, brown eyes, same dimpled cheeks as Jared. When Jared Kushner left for the White House, she took on a more substantial role in the family real estate company. Nicole Kushner-Meyer followed up after that meeting, sending multiple emails to uh, Freddie Mac officials. Wheels were turning. And after that, the deal moves pretty quickly. The deal the Kushner companies negotiated was massive. This was not a $200 million deal. This was not $300 million deals. This was walking in, asking for $800 million, which is, no matter who it is, that's a big deal for Freddie. And then it's having a Kushner uh, sitting there at the table talking about it. Freddie Mac says no one discussed Jared Kushner at this meeting and that no political influence was brought to bear. Heather took a look at the data. And she found that the deal was unusually favorable for Kushner companies and riskier for Freddie Mac and ultimately taxpayers when compared to similar loans Freddie issued in 2019. 
you know, the question is, um, if property values plummeted and Kushner companies ran into trouble, which is not so hard to imagine right now, given uh, what's happening to real estate because of the pandemic, um, would taxpayers end up being on the hook? One other thing you need to know about Freddie Mac. After the last recession in 2008, so many mortgages failed that Freddie Mac and its sibling Fannie Mae nearly went under. U.S. taxpayers had to bail them out nearly $200 billion. So after that, Freddie Mac got a federal monitor to make sure it didn't take on excessive risk. So you have the situation of the family company, which is, I mean, it's not that big a company, but it gets this big loan by Freddie Mac standards. At the same time, Jared Kushner is in the White House. So that's why bells are going off? Exactly. Exactly. No matter who it is, that's a big deal for Freddie. Um, And then it's having a Kushner uh, sitting there at the table um, talking about it. Welcome to Trump, Inc., a podcast from WNYC and ProPublica that digs deep into the business of the Trump family. I'm Andrea Bernstein. Today on the show, the Kushner Company's unusually favorable deal and what it tells us about the conflicts baked in to the Trump White House, where neither the president nor his family members have divested from their family businesses. When Jared Kushner was appointed senior advisor to then-president-elect Donald Trump in early 2017, he was CEO of Kushner Companies, furiously negotiating to relieve the debt burden on 666 Fifth Avenue. Russian, Chinese, and Saudi leaders and businessmen sought him out, understanding early that he would emerge as a powerful figure in the Trump White House. They were not wrong. In the nearly four years of Trump's presidency, Kushner has outlasted the vast majority of Trump's appointees and enjoys unusual access to both the West Wing, where the president works, and the East Wing, where the family gathers. From the beginning, the White House said Jared Kushner would recuse himself from particular matters that have a direct and predictable effect on his financial interests and will comply with the financial disclosure requirements— When he did disclose his assets, it became clear that Jared Kushner, every year he worked in the White House, was earning tens of millions of dollars from his family business. This arrangement has caused no end of tangles. Like when Jared Kushner negotiated a generous deal, later withdrawn with a Chinese insurance company for 666 Fifth Avenue, or when Nicole Kushner-Meyer invoked her brother's connections to the White House while pitching investors in Beijing— or the time Jared Kushner met at the White House with senior executives from banks who also gave Kushner companies large loans. Each time, both Jared Kushner and Kushner companies said the business and the White House are entirely separate. So what's at stake is whether or not government power is being used for the good of, you know, the people in power and those closely related, the Kushner family. Ethics expert Kathleen Clark. Or whether government power is used in the ways that, you know, Congress intended, or whether we have basically a fundamentally corrupt system. We'll hear more from her later in the episode. 
Jared Kushner's failure to divest also had an effect on the family business, people with firsthand knowledge told me. After a while, banks became skittish about big Kushner deals. They don't want the scrutiny, what's called headline risk. By 2018, the company was under pressure. The Kushner companies didn't respond to requests for comment for this story. In the past, Charles Kushner has said the company remains a very strong real estate business, adding, the future of Kushner companies is indeed very bright. So let's go now to that big loan deal Jared's sister, Nicole Kushner-Meyer, negotiated. In fact, let's go to the apartments. This is Alec McGillis, a reporter with ProPublica, and I am today uh, driving to check out uh, another housing complex owned by uh, the family of Jared Kushner, and I am puzzled because... Back in 2017, uh, Alec McGillis had a story co-published in the New York Times magazine called Jared Kushner's Other Real Estate Empire in Baltimore. At the time, people knew about Kushner's Manhattan real estate, but not so much about Kushner's more low-rent properties in Maryland. Most of his apartments are in very humble, sort of working-class, modest areas out on the edge of town, uh, long highways, um, strip malls, that kind of area. Um, but As Alec reported, those apartments in the exurbs of Baltimore were populated by tenants of modest means who were subject to a relentless series of legal actions by their landlord even when they were withholding rent because of mold or sewage problems or other serious concerns. A Kushner spokesperson told Alec at the time the company had a fiduciary obligation to its ownership partners to collect as much revenue as it could. Recently, Alec drove out to have a look at the multifamily units Kushner companies had newly purchased, the ones that were part of that big 2019 acquisition. Right now I'm going through one of Baltimore's loveliest neighborhoods in uh, North Baltimore called uh, Mount Washington. It used to be sort of a weekend retreat for wealthy people downtown. This complex called Bonnie Ridge didn't look like the ones he'd seen before. Mercedes uh, SUV. Um, Alec went to check out a second complex that was part of that big Kushner Company's deal. Uh, right along I-95, near where I-95 meets the Baltimore Beltway. This is where the IKEA is, um, Panera, Chick-fil-A, oh, and a Jared jewelry store. A more sort of typical middle-class um, suburban, exurban part of town. Um, definitely a little bit more upscale than the areas I'm used to visiting over here for Kushnerville. Alec drove to a complex right off the highway. Here we are, um, the apartments at Cambridge Court, beautiful apartment homes. That's what the sign says. And once again, a Westminster community, and that is the mark of Kushnerville. So I know I'm in the right place. Wow, these are definitely nicer than what I'm used to. In May of 2019, Bloomberg News reported Kushner Companies gets $800 million in federally-backed apartment loan. Eyebrows shot up. ProPublica's Heather Vogel. And shortly after Bloomberg broke that story, 
Senator Elizabeth Warren and Senator uh, Tom Carper sent a letter asking questions and uh, raising concerns that Kushner companies had been given some sort of special treatment in getting this deal with Freddie. The letter acknowledged there was no specific indication of any wrongdoing by Freddie in this matter. But it said the size of the deal, coupled with Jared Kushner's refusal to divest, quote, raises significant questions about the circumstances under which Freddie approved and Kushner companies received this loan. I wanted to kind of really look under the hood and really sort of get into those details a bit and see what I could find out. And what did you find out as you as you peered under the hood? <laughs> Well, you know, I talked to a lot of people in the industry. I talked to a lot of people who, you know, are close to Freddie and people who know things about the Kushner's business. And it seemed that a lot of those people had sort of the same questions I did and didn't have concrete information on the answers. Those answers were hard to come by at first. Remember, Freddie Mac's function is to keep money flowing to the housing market by buying loans from lenders, packaging them up and selling them to investors and guaranteeing much of the loans in case of default. But, especially for its biggest borrowers, Freddie Mac customizes each of its loan deals, so it can be hard to compare one to another. So Heather waited until all the data was in for 2019. Now we can go back and take a look at uh, the other loans that Freddie was making in 2019 with similar market conditions and compare the deal that Kushner got with what other borrowers got at the same time. And that's what proved to be most revealing to me. Much of the information Heather needed was on Freddie Mac's website, but in different places, through different portals. And so we tried to pull a lot of that into a single database that allowed us to make comparisons among other loans uh, that Freddie was making at the same time, and also to look over time for these properties. There was, first, the type of loan. One of the things that stood out right away was that this was a 10-year interest-only loan. The data showed very few other borrowers obtained this type of loan, where you don't have to pay any principal just interest until the loan is due. Only about 6% of the loans that Freddie did in 2019 were interest only for 10 years or longer. So this is not unheard of, and it's certainly a type of deal that they do, but it was unusual. 94% of the loans Freddie Mac funded in 2019 were not interest only, publicly available data shows. There's a reason for that. Interest-only loans are better for borrowers, like Kushner companies, because they keep monthly payments low, but they move the risk from the borrower to the lender because there's the chance the borrower won't be able to make the big lump sum principal payments at the end of the loan. Other terms stood out, too. Kushner Companies was allowed to take on an unusual amount of debt relative to the value of the properties. The Kushner Company's deal took it almost, you know, right up to the ceiling that Freddie allowed, which is about 70%. You can borrow about 70% of the value of the property. Kushner Company's loans averaged 69%. So one, they had interest-only loans. Two, they rose right up to the loan-to-value limit. And three, the data that underwriters that is, the bean counters at Freddie Mac, who combed through the numbers, used to calculate risk, didn't match reality. An underwriter is going to look at 
um, the historical profits, the occupancy, other factors about the property, and they are going to say, hey, okay, we can expect um, the revenue to be a certain amount. We can expect the expenses to be a certain amount, and then we can expect you know the profits to be a certain amount. And that is, uh, experts tell me, um, a number that is supposed to be A, accurate, uh, B, not aspirational. But with the Kushner loan, it was not accurate, and it was aspirational. Even before COVID-19 hurt real estate, the apartments were making less than Freddie Mac, using Kushner's numbers, expected. And what we found was that if you look at the overall loan package, that the underwriters' expectations fell short by 12%. Is that a big number? Yes. What all of this means is better deal for Kushner companies, more risk for Freddie Mac and investors. And this risk isn't theoretical. Freddie and its sister agency, Fannie, faced a tsunami of defaults and single-family home loans in 2008, almost $200 billion worth. And many of those defaults came from risky, interest-only housing loans. And this loan, it went to one of the most powerful officials in the country's family business after his sister met with loan officials. How did this happen? So, to be clear, there's no smoking gun email. There's no phone call that we know of from the White House. No. There's nothing that we have seen that says, give this loan to Kushner companies. No. Freddie Mac said in a statement, it does not consider the political affiliations of borrowers or their family members. It called ProPublica's analysis random, arbitrary, and incomplete, and asserted that the Kushner loans fit squarely within our publicly available credit and underwriting standards. The terms and performance of every one of these loans is transparent and available on our website, and all the loans are current and have been consistently paid. We wondered, even if there were no overt influence, could politics still have been in play? We asked the former director of the Federal Housing Finance Agency. Uh, my name is Mel White, former director of the Federal Housing Finance Agency. This is the federal agency, which is supposed to keep an eye on Freddie Mac, making sure it doesn't take on too much risk. Watt, a former North Carolina member of Congress, was appointed to his post by President Barack Obama and stayed on for the first two years of Trump's presidency. His relatively small agency was responsible for oversight of the much larger Freddie Mac. And I'm just wondering from what you know about how federal agencies work, whether you think there could have been somebody who interpreted it, that they had to give a good package because they understood the family relationships, even if nothing was said or um, but, directed. Uh, yeah. If these were decisions were being made by one individual, that would be a lot more likely. But uh, these decisions don't get made by one individual, like Fannie Mae or Freddie Mac. And But is it possible? Yes. I mean, I don't know what else I can add to this discussion. I mean, I right. don't know. Well, one question I have sort of uh, philosophically but, uh, is... But, but uh, if you're trying to get me to say it is likely, it is. Uh, I, I, I have to tell you that I think it is unlikely. I'm not actually trying to get you to say anything other than no, what you okay. believe. I understand. <laughs> so, but, you know, but I I'm just want to be... clear about yeah, what I'm yeah. saying. In my judgment, it is unlikely that that would have been a decisive factor in, in making a, an individual decision to back alone. 
Melwatt left in 2018, before the Kushner deal was done. There's a new director now. His name is Mark Calabria, formerly Vice President Mike Pence's chief economist. Calabria, who was confirmed in April 2019, has called for an end to the conservatorship, the close financial control that his agency has exerted over Freddie Mac and Fannie Mae since the 2008 crisis. The transition from the Obama appointee to the Trump appointee was happening at the same time as this deal was coming together. And it was really, I would imagine, a great time of uncertainty for people at Freddie Mac and Fannie Mae who were um, seeing a new person come in who had uh, really his own take on things. Neither the White House nor Kushner companies responded to multiple requests for comment. After the break, the ethical implications of the Kushner-Freddie Mac deal. We're back. Jared Kushner says when he joined his father-in-law's administration, he took the necessary steps to meet ethics rules. Here he is in 2019 in a TV interview with Axios's Jonathan Swan. I disclosed all my holdings to the uh, Office of Government Ethics, and what I did with that is they told me what to divest, what to keep, what rules to follow. But the rules don't encompass all the various situations that Jared Kushner's not divesting have led to. Like the one we're talking about now, where his family company got big loans after his sister called on Freddie Mac officials. One of the aspects of uh, Freddie Mac's mode of dealing um, that makes it uh, particularly risky from an ethical point of view is that it's hard to tell whether they are giving special treatment. I called up one of the foremost experts on Trump business ethics. Um, my name is Kathleen Clark. I'm a law professor at Washington University. While Freddie Mac has credit parameters, Heather Vogel learned, it also customizes deals. They're not off the rack. They're boutique. And so... If that's the mode of dealing, that's a high risk. There's a risk of corruption. There's a risk of improper influences. Obviously, I care <laughs> and agree that one should care. But I would like to hear from you why, let's why? say, people in general should care about this kind of transaction. What What is at stake? Yeah. So what's at stake is whether or not um, government power is being used for the good of, you know, the people in power and those closely related, the Kushner family, or whether government power is used in the ways that, you know, Congress intended, whether it's used for the public good in general. So Jared Kushner's family company got a very generous loan package from Freddie Mac. They're a real estate company. He's not involved in the day-to-day managements in any way that we know of. Is it a problem? I mean, are they entitled to continue to do business while he's senior advisor? You know, neither I nor others involved in, in government ethics advocacy think that 
the Kushner companies should be, you know, expropriated. <laughs> that's that's not what we're talking about. What we're talking about is whether the government is run in a way that we can have confidence that people are treated fairly and equally under the law and and not given unfairly favorable treatment because of their connection to the president. And I think that one of the things that this situation, the Kushner situation, has exposed is a weakness in our government financial disclosure laws, or maybe put more generally, not just financial disclosure, but the conflict of interest laws. So one of the things I've been wondering is that in those cases where Jared Kushner did divest, he just turned over the assets to his close family. If, in fact, what he's done is just parked the asset with his mother or another close family member, and then he can be expected to go and retrieve that after government service, that basically makes a sham of the entire conflict of interest um, regime. Say that Jared Kushner never benefits, that he wasn't parking an asset, that he never was getting an income stream from this particular set of properties. Does the fact that close relatives benefit create a problem, create a conflict? Yes. Uh, Maybe not a conflict in the technical sense of the financial conflict of interest statute, this criminal statute, but it it matters from a different point of view. Um, it, It matters in terms of whether or not officials were treating this situation impartially or whether someone, Kushner companies, got different treatment because of their connection. Now, Freddie Mac says Jared Kushner was not discussed at the meeting. I mean, we don't have a memo that Mm -hmm. says the White House says they want us to give the Kushner companies this loan (laughs) on especially favorable terms. Mm-hmm. that the White House wants Freddie Mac to back this favorable loan, favorable and large loan for the Kushner companies while it is its underlying properties are performing less well than average. Is there still a problem? I, I guess I would just say that points to the fact that a in-person meeting is risky and it's difficult to verify whether something untoward was said or not. We simply have to trust them that nothing inappropriate was said. Okay, so let's say that Nicole didn't just say, I just finished lunch with my brother and he would love for you to do this. (laughs) And let's assume that none of that happened and they just walk in as Kushner companies and yet somebody in the hierarchy of Freddie Mac thinks, oh, we should do this. Her name is Kushner. Still a problem? Yeah, that that absolutely is a problem. If you were the Kushner Company and you were trying to do the right thing, if say you were the Kushner Company's ethics advisor, what would you have advised <laughs> them to make sure that this all is good and looks good? I'd leave it to the professionals. I'd keep family members away from it. Even if there's not direct White House intervention, are they responding sort of in the shadow of the possibility of White House intervention or in the hopes of 
you know, keeping on the good side of the White House. When Donald Trump was elected president, he didn't divest from his company. He had a no-conflict situation, he told the American people. His cabinet and family members, Ivanka Trump, Jared Kushner, followed his lead. And as we've been covering over the past years at Trump, Inc., these arrangements have led to a ball of ethical concerns nearly impossible to untangle. Our mechanisms of accountability, of legal accountability, have failed us. Um, And so the Trump administration um, and the initially the Republican control of Congress, then the Republican control of the Senate, has demonstrated um, the weakness in our accountability systems um, because President Trump has gotten away with it. Kathleen Clark is a law professor at Washington University in St. Louis. This episode was reported by Heather Vogel and produced by Catherine Sullivan. Nick Varshever was the editor. Jared Paul does our sound design and original scoring. Hannes Brown wrote our theme and additional music. Huge thanks to ProPublica's Alec McGillis for driving out to the Kushner Company complexes. Matt Collette is the executive producer of Trump, Inc. Emily Botine is the vice president of original programming for WNYC. And Steve Engelberg is the editor-in-chief of ProPublica. I'm Andrea Bernstein. Thanks for listening.